Okay, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In case you, you haven't sensed this, uh, this is a, a very dry season. Just, you know, sometimes it feels so good to come into the presence of, of, of the Lord and, and, and you just feel excited, excited. Yet sometimes you weep. Sometimes you, you just feel the spirit and the presence of the Lord tangibly. And this season, certainly for me, is not that way, especially today. Today is a really tough day for me. I'm like, Father, you know, like, come on, come on, come on. Do something. You know, you just <laughs> pump it, pump it, pump it. And it's like, ah, you know, and it's amazing because I, I it's, we've been bouncing all over the place. And the Spirit of the Lord just pours whenever he wants to. You know, it's just like, boom, it just pours. And then when you want him to pour, it seems like he, he's more uh, withheld. But, but there's a reason for this. It is at this time. It is at this hour, it is at this place where there is great dryness, where we don't feel the presence. It is in the most difficult of times that we see that the God of Israel does the greatest of things. In fact, I have yet to find a story in Scripture where everything was beautiful and then the Lord came and did something Amazing. It, it's as if he always brings us to that place where, where we feel hopeless, where we feel like he's not there, where we feel like we've cried out and he hasn't answered. And, and, and just at the moment where we just about to say we are totally, totally screwed, that suddenly he lifts us up and it, it says with his right Hand. Someone asked me this weekend, what does that mean? Why the right hand? Well, because God speaks to us in ways that, 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 that are relatable to us. And, and, and what he's trying to say is, as, as a human normally does the greatest things with their right hand, just envision if, if I was like you, when, when I say I'm going to lift you up, I mean to say that I'm going to lift you up with the hand that I write with, with the hand that is precious to me, with the hand that I rely on to do everything that is right, because... You right-handers know that if you need to sign something, if you need to eat, if you need to do things, you need to rely on a certain hand, and you're not going to use your left hand for that. You're going to use your dominant hand, and God is saying that you are so precious to me that in, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your sorrow, in the middle of your hopelessness, I am going to use my right hand to lift you up. I am not going to pick you up by my foot. I'm not going to pick you up over my shoulder, or I'm not going to pick you up with my left hand. I'm picking you up with my right hand that you may know what you mean to me. It is at this hour, at this dry time, at this moment when we don't really feel the presence of God, that, that, that God wants to, to impart onto us a thing, an understanding of who He is. Because it, it, it is great, it is great to, to know the Lord when things are great. But it is in these toughest of times that He's about to be revealed. And you are the generation that needs to have this impartation. Because if you think this is dry, wait a while. Is about to get worse. In case you haven't read it, there is a time coming where people will go to and fro searching, 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 and they will not find. Messiah spoke a, a parable of a, about ten virgins. You know the parable. You know they fell asleep, and when it was time, it was late at night, and, and, and some had oil, and some didn't have oil, and they were looking for oil. There is a time and a season coming where people will go to and fro looking for oil, and these are virgins, which means these are people who have prepared themselves. They prepared, they're, they're, they're not like hookers in the street. These are virgins who have set themselves apart to be part of what God is doing, and they will be searching to and fro looking for oil and they will not find it 
Well, this is an hour. This is a time. It is when it's dry. It is when it's dry that the, the, true doesn't, the, the tree doesn't sit there complaining about it. Its roots begin to go deeper and deeper, looking for water, deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's a suffering in this because you go deeper and deeper and you cannot find water. But let me tell you something. The process of those roots going deep causes that tree to be so powerful so that when the storm comes, nothing can knock it down. There's an impartation coming today, specifically. And it is very connected with, with what was actually up on the board where, where Messiah entrusts one man, one man to feed his lambs. I don't know if you noticed, but there are 12 disciples. But out of the 12, there's only one who's imparted with a very specific thing. He is to feed the lambs. And so in this hour, the Spirit of the Lord is calling you to ponder and ask yourself, why? Why is this man? What is it about this man that causes him to be the one who is chosen out of 12 to be the one who feeds the lambs of God? Why not John? John is this disciple of love. You can just imagine it. It speaks of him as one who who is so tender, so tender that that on the moment that Messiah is on the cross, Messiah looks down at his mother whom he loved and he offers her to John because she knows this is a man with, with a tender, sweet, holy, loving heart. It's funny he didn't give his mother to Peter. <laughs> it's really funny when you think about it. Out of 12, he's speaking John. So each one of them has, has a certain call. Each one of them has a certain thing. Each, each one of them has a certain purpose. Because when the king of glory is walking in this earth and is picking out Talmudim, he's picking up disciples because he has something very unique for each and every one of them. But out of the 12, only one, only one is entrusted to feed. Father, I pray that your sons and your daughters today will, will hear something they've never heard before, awaken to something they've never been awakened before, that they may, that they may go back home and say, i got to read this again. I've never seen this story like this before. Why does he choose 12 to follow him, to raise the dead and, and, and cast out demons and, 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 and do everything that they all do? He imparted in them, he blew on them the spirit and all of them were in the upper room receiving the fire of God. Every single one received an impartation, but only one, only one received the unique instruction to feed my lambs. He didn't say <laughs> this to any other one except one. This ought to cause you to ponder and look and see. Let me walk through the life of this man to find out what is it about him that Messiah single-handedly picked him out to do this thing. I want to know. I don't know about you, but when I heard that, because the call that he has is the call that I want in my life. And if I'm about to feed the lambs of God, I need to know what is it about this man, Simon, that God would say, I have imparted this thing to you and it's yours job it'll blow you away that not only is he in party with the gift to feed the lambs but he's in party with something else he is given the keys to the kingdom of heaven nobody else did he give the keys to the kingdom of heaven matthew mark luke john they're writers of the gospel the scriptures we now have none of them received the commands to feed the lambs or hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I, 
you, you see, God is not interested in us going through another year of Bible reading. He's interested in us stopping in one or two verses and saying, back it up. I don't understand. Explain to me why. What is it about this man? So you begin to follow the journey of this man and see where does he come from? What has he done that qualifies him for these two amazing things? One, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and two, to feed the lambs. What qualifies him for this? We begin to look and and we notice that the very first man that the Messiah calls to be a Talmudim, a disciple, is Simon. Simon is out doing what he always does. You see, we would be out there looking for for a scholarly person, someone who knows the Torah really well, maybe one of the rabbis or whatever. But the king of glory is walking around looking for Tamadim. And the first person he picks is Simon. And fishermen are out there swearing their head off all day, all night. There's something... There's something, there's something about the brokenness of this one particular man that the Lord says, follow me. Now we have to understand this, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but Talmudim, disciples are not what we think. Okay, disciples are not people who are just like people who are just going to follow somebody around and learn from somebody. When a rabbi called Talmudim, what he was doing was this. He knew that he would not be around forever. And so he would be looking for people that could become identically like him so that when he's gone, there's three, four, five, or six of himself manifesting what God called him to manifest on this earth. Disciples are those who are about to become the rabbi. And when this king is looking for who, who is going to emulate me the best, the first guy he picks is, is a swearing, messed up, <laughs> whacked out, out of control, fisherman that could never succeed. In anything else, so the sea is the last resort. Because in the sea, you don't have to deal with people. Then he picks them. But you don't understand why specifically. What is the big deal? This doesn't make sense. Therefore, there is a mystery there. What qualifies him? To feed and to hold the keys. You begin to see this journey, and he's walking around, and you can tell Peter's not wound tight. I mean, he's the first one to talk about something. He's the first one to declare something. He, 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 matter of fact, when he first comes into the encounter, it says that he drops to the feet. So much drama. He drops to the feet. He says, oh, get away from me, Lord. Get away from me. I'm not a good man. Get away from me. Problem is, when you have an encounter with God, you not not going to get him to get away from you because he came to you for a reason. You can tell him, get away from me all you want. You can backslide. You can do whatever you want. You cannot get God to move away from you because he's omnipresent. And if he gets away from you, you'd have to go somewhere where he is not. And he is. You can't push him away. Oh, glory. Grace. See, I come representing, but at some point, I can't even represent anymore. I got to become. I can't represent a thing. I got to become a thing. And I'm getting too hot. (laughs) And if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, and it ain't time to get out of no kitchen. We haven't even made the bread yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. What is it? Did God call him because he's spontaneous? I'll tell you what, spontaneous people freak me out. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't know what they're going to do. Is this the anointing or are they just crazy? There's a very fine line between the anointing and the annoying. It's so fine. Sometimes you can't figure out where it even crosses. 
Oh, I got a word from the Lord. <laughs> it always cracks me up. It's always the person who says, I got a word from the Lord. Ain't got none to say. And the person who actually has a word from the Lord sits down and says, oh, no, I don't think I have anything to say. Sorobaba. Ha, hallelujah, hallelujah. What is it about this man? What does God see in this man? That qualifies him for what he's about to be instructed to do. Here's one moment where, where they needed some money to pay the temple tax. And Yeshua says to Peter, go fish. Open up the mouth, take out the money coin, and go pay the pay. Now that is, that is an anointing I've been working on, but I still have not found any money on any fish, although I am Peter. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm trying. Don't laugh at me. You should at least try. I remember one time I ran on top of the water. I know I could. I believe it. And he said, if you believe, if you believe these things and greater, you shall do. And last time I checked, he walked on water. So I remember that night I looked at that lake. It's said, lake, you ain't got nothing on me. The feet of Jesus are on me. And I ran across that lake. I mean, I went down on the first step, but I, in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, I was, I'm still running over the lake. <laughs> and let me tell you something. <laughs> when I was on the bottom, sitting there floating around in the mud, <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord said, how do you feel now? I said, wet. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me and said, you see, the real miracle is not the physical manifestation of spiritual things. The real miracle is that you're crazy enough to step out like you can do it. God is looking for a generation who is more interested in the supernatural, not because you see, but because you know. Speaking of walking on the water, that brings me to Peter again. He's sitting over there, and all the 12, they're sitting on the boat, fishing. And by the way, this is not a pelvic motion. Some, I done got in trouble for doing this. They thought I was doing this. I don't know. This is not pelvic motion. I'm just acting like I'm fishing in the waves. One done got offended. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> I fishes, fishes. <laughs> and they see out in the distance, they see a light, and they're getting scared. And as the light comes closer, they're freaking out. <laughs> and the light speaks to them and says, Hey, guys, come on, don't be scared, it's just me. It is I, the Lord. Yeah, and 12 men are sitting in the boat, but one man. One man says, if it is you, then tell me, come out of this boat, and I'm going to walk right there with you. And she says, come. And Peter, come out just to prove that, oh, 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 ah! <laughs> He's walking on water. You see, Peter was not looking for the supernatural walking on water. He just needed to know, is this really you? Because if it is, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Is this you? And you wonder, oh my God, 12 men, one got the revelation. He walked on the water. Is that the reason why God said you feed the lambs and you hold on to the key to the kingdom. Well, it ain't because right after he walked on water, Jesus never told him anything like that. He just said, you know, you're going to drown. When I say come, you got to keep looking at me. <laughs> Peter everywhere is moving. He's being called to do things. And you wonder... Did any of these things qualify him for the call that God put on his life to feed and to hold the keys of the kingdom? And the answer is no, because you're not going to find out 
what the qualification is until the moment that the Messiah says, okay, now let me tell you what you're going to do. There is a graduation that needs to take place. You do not get your diploma when you start your first day in school or your second day or your first year or your fourth year. There's a point in time where the graduation time comes where you have crossed a certain line. And after crossing that certain line, you receive a diploma and you never have to go back again. What is this line? Was it walking on water? No. There was no diploma at the end of crossing, walking on the water. You follow this Simon Peter man. And it's amazing the things that he goes through, the things that he sees, the things that he experiences. There are 12, but there are only three who are called to go into a mountain. He looks up at the mountain and he sees that his friend, Yeshua, that he already knew this was not a normal being. But he sees Yeshua change into a being of a thousand sons. But he's not alone. There's Elijah there. And Moses is there. And they're talking with each other. And they're watching this. The three men, uh, Peter, James, John, they're watching this. And they're like amazed. They're clamped. But out of the three... One speaks out and he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. I mean, the other ones are like, oh, 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 oh. They don't know if they should look or not because when you look at the Lord, you die. So they're like, are we dead? Oh, God. Like the only one Peter stands up is like, Lord. Thou if be good is that our mouth that he hears, and this mouth now buildeth, we buildeth thy tenteth, thy sukkath. God help him. What's happening? Peter, what are you talking about? This is a divine moment. Everybody is acting appropriately like, and Peter stands up, wants to know. Should we, should we build three little sukkahs? We celebrate Sukkot. He's thinking, you know, if, if the manifestation of God is on earth, it must be Sukkot. I got to build three little sukkahs. One for Moses, one for Jesus, one for Elijah. Come on. One man. Steps outside of what appears to be the normal reaction to, to, to a theophany. That's a word. I think that's a word somewhere. Don't Google it. Just go with it. It's so hard to preach nowadays. Everything you're preaching, people are going, they're looking it up. Wait for it. There's something going on. Peter stepping outside of what's normal to talk to God in three persons. Whoa, I never thought I'd say that. Whoa. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Hang in there. It's going to get worse. He's looking at what appears to be a divine moment of godness. Goodness. No, godness. And instead of just sitting there like what would be normal, he comes out, can I build three little tents for y'all? And I don't have time to tell you the revelation of what happened at that moment. Because at that moment it says, suddenly a cloud covered the three. Yeshua, Moshe, and Elijah. I don't know how to say Elijah in Hebrew, so you just have to go with that. And they disappeared. They disappeared. And when they disappeared, and all the disciples could see was one another, then a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. You just have to go back and read it. You see, it would make sense if while 
Jesus is walking around with the glory and Elijah and Moses. It would make sense at that moment. A voice say, this is my beloved son. Look at him. No. Moses, Elijah, Yeshua vanished. And when all there was left was three men, then the voice came. This is my beloved son. You're not going to see the son the way you think. He's not where you think he is. But that's a message for another time. We're still trying to figure out what did Peter do that caused him to pass over the line so that he could be entrusted with feeding the lambs of God. <laughs> you know, follow the whole story. Just Google Peter and just follow everything he's doing and begin to ask yourself, where does he, where does he graduate? Where does he get Where does it happen? <laughs> I don't know about you, but, but what he was called to do, you are called to do. Do you know that? You are called to feed the lambs of God. I am called to feed the lambs of God. So it's a blessing to understand what is this mystery about this Peter guy because he's not wound up too tight. Elevator ain't stopping on every floor. He's not the sharpest tool in the, sh- in the what? In the shed. That's all right. When you get the revelation that God is the shed. Oh, I'm going to have to marinate on that one a little bit. That's all right. That's all right. Hey, I remember here one time, you know, people tell me, here's how you go to heaven. Here's how you go to get to heaven. You see, you're in the boat, and, and, and you're in the water. Heaven is over there somewhere, and you got to row the boat. And one side is faith. The other side is works. Work it, faith. Work it, faith. Work your feet. Man, that used to mess me up so bad. I says, at the end of the day, if I just have faith, I'm be going around in a circle. And if I have works, I go around in another circle. And if I have works and faith, I don't even know where I'm going because I got to roll backwards. Somebody help me. <laughs> then the Lord told me, that's kind of partly right, but didn't tell you the fullness of the story. Because in that analogy, Lord says, I am the water, I am the faith, I am the works, I am the boat, and I'm the man rowing this whole thing. You just see your behind back there and enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. And all the way there, just say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Because this thing isn't about us. It's about him. Peter. What's going on? <laughs> you know, Peter say that people say Peter ran away. You know, when, when the, when the <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. He's sitting down with Messiah, and Messiah is asking him, who do they say that I am? What are they saying? What's the buzz out there? And everybody has an answer. It's so funny. When you need to hear someone else's revelation, everybody's ready to speak it. Everyone understands what the buzz is. They say you were a prophet. They say you're a great rabbi. They say you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. They say you're Elijah. And he says, who do you say that I am? He's asking this to 12 men. And the nut job opens up his mouth and says, thou art the Matthias, thundeth of the livingeth Godeth. And Messiah says immediately, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Let me translate this for you. When Yeshua heard that, he also heard, bring, like he got a text from above. And Peter just looked down and says, thou art the Messiah, son of the living God. It's kind of like you're trying to take a test at school and you don't know the answer. But your friend, you know, call a friend. Call a friend. You got a hotline. You got a call line. They call you and they send you the answer. And you write in the answer. says the answer to the question is, <laughs> this didn't come from Peter. Peter don't even know what he just said. He just opened his mouth. And he got a text from above. 
The problem with this texting system is that two seconds later he got another task, bring, and it said, oh, you shall never, ever, ever suffer, Lord, because I will not allow it over my dead body. And Yeshua looks at him and says, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. Be careful what kind of text you're getting out there. Facebook texting. It's holy and unholy at the same time. Watch out that you're not getting your revelation from the Facebook. Become the book of the one whose face is on you. You're going to have to rewind that one on the tape. Some of these things. I've been asking someone needs to make Rabbi Peter for dummies. I don't know. I talking crazy because I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. I gotta go back and listen to it again. Says, Lord, what was that? God uses the same vessel who speaks, the only human on earth besides John the Baptist who recognizes this is the anointed Son of God. Two seconds later. Oh, no, 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 nothing will happen to you over my dead body. And let me tell you something, Peter meant it. Out of the 12, he's the only one who would have really, really, really meant it. And he proved it hours later. Because when the mob came to get the king, Peter wasn't like, oh, oh. Jesus, help us, Lord. Oh, come on. Not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit, which says the Lord. Oh, no. <laughs> Peter just looked at them, and I can just see him pacing. I can just see him pacing. Look, look at these guys. And he just went down there. Man, I don't know. This don't look like a sword, but I just got to draw it out. He just took out his sword. You know, and I could just see him just on the sand. He's waiting for this moment. He is waiting for this moment. This is graduation time. I don't know what Jesus is thinking. Ain't nobody touching my Lord. And let me tell you something. When the mob came and they grabbed a hold of Yeshua, there was a young man who went over there. Everybody was grabbing him. And the first thing Peter did, he didn't talk about it, he didn't pray about it. He just came to lob his head off. Only problem is they had been celebrating Passover. In Passover, you have to recline. I think he was laying on his arms for so long. His arm was kind of noodle. So, so he grabbed the thing, and, and, and he's, he's trying to whip it around. He's doing the best he can, but his arm is kind of like a wet noodle. And it gave enough time for the, for the young man to duck his head out of the way. And let me tell you something. He was not aiming at his ear. He was ready to chop his neck off. But, you know, initiative, you know what I mean? Those of you who used to play Dungeons & Dragons, it Peter didn't get initiative on that move. All right, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But you see, you got to roll in initiative. And whoever can move fastest is going to kill the next guy. So Peter lost that move. So he's like, and as he's doing that, the man, young man turns his head down, and that blade just came. I mean, it was going to lodge itself into his neck, but it just kind of bounced and went chicking in his ear, like in slow motion, like And it's floating around in the air. <laughs> and Peter went down. And I'm telling you, he's about to come around. He's a, he ain't done. And he feels someone grab him and said, Peter, come on. <laughs> Take a chill pill, dude. <laughs> the Messiah goes down and he, and he picks the ear up and <laughs> he sticks it back on the ear of the kid. Kids looking around, wondering why it's making so much noise. <laughs> the joy of the Lord. It, it makes a whole new way of, of praising the Lord. Just clap your ears to and fro. Hallelujah. <laughs> what is it? Do you hear me, Lord? Do they want to do Do they want to me? Can you tell me? Do your ears hang low? That's I think that's when that song started. Because all the people making fun of the guy had like a big old ear hanging. You see. We're trying to figure it out. And this is getting out of control. We're trying to find out when does this thing cross over? What happens? I'm going to tell you right now. Because when 
Peter saw that the king of glory, the man who had him walk on water, the man he saw on the mountain transform into the image in the presence of God, when he saw that man who fed the multitudes, who raised the dead, when he saw his savior God, king, get dragged down the road, beaten and spit at and punched, and Yeshua didn't lift up a finger to defend himself. He couldn't understand what's going on. Everything he hoped for, everything he believed in, everything he sacrificed for was lost. you got to remember that just days ago, these turkeys were trying to figure out who's going to be the right hand of the king when the king begins to move in power and authority. Well, the king is about to die. So Peter sees this. And every faith, everything he saw, he began to wonder, did I just imagine this? What have I been smoking? It never seemed real in the first place. But now I'm awakened to a reality that tells me everything I've experienced with this man is not real. How did he spike the drink? I could have sworn I saw him walking away. I could have sworn I saw what magical move did he do to do these things. And he followed, he followed, he followed. He was following because he wanted to see that his reality was not real. He wanted to see the king suddenly say, ah, <laughs> like the Hulk, you know what I mean? You beat me enough, ah, I'm going to come out and get you. He wanted to see the king that he believed in rise up. And save somebody. And he can't even save himself. And Peter was watching and following and watching and following. And he got to the place where he wasn't looking at him from, from, from like a, a gate in a high priest's home. And he's just wondering like, what the hell is going on? And a young girl comes up to him and says, I recognize you. I recognize you. Aren't you one of his disciples? Let me tell you something. See, we think that Peter's answer was a fear. God wants you to understand something today. It was not a fear. This is not a man who's afraid. This is a man who was ready to rip someone's head off. Fear is not the equation here. What's happening at this moment is he's saying, I don't know that man. This is not the man I know. The man I know could call a thousand angels in one moment. The man I know could open up his mouth and all his enemies will fall. The man I know would say one word and no one would be able to touch him. Time went by and he kept looking. He's rubbing his eyes and says, do something, do something. Again, another one came and said, I seen you walking with him. Don't you know him? And the more Peter looked at that man getting beat and spit at, blood gushing out of his nose and his face, this is the man whose hands healed. Why is he bleeding everywhere? Why is his face becoming deformed? And Peter answers truthfully, I swear... By the temple of Israel. I don't know that man. Because Peter had never seen that man. He saw a savior. He saw a deliverer. He saw a miracle worker. He never saw a human getting the crap beat out of him. Without even lifting up a hand. Without saying a word. I don't know this man. Finally. As he was just dumbfounded about, why he, about what he was experiencing, seeing a third time. Someone says, 
I know that you know him. I can tell by your tone of speech. <laughs> and Peter made sure that his tone of speech changed at that moment to prove that that man, he did not know. And he used every vile word possible to make it clear that he did not know that man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered. <laughs> oh, God. What's happened? Because, see, the, the man who told them, Peter, today you will deny me three times before a rooster crows, was the God-man, the anointed son of God. He knew that. But what he was seeing did not match. What he understood, the son of God, the king, to be, and because he couldn't understand it, he couldn't recognize it. He didn't deny Jesus because he was afraid. He denied because what he saw on that night was not his religious understanding of God. <laughs> and he ran and wept bitterly. Ah. Ah. Three days later, the women come through the tomb. You got to catch this. You got to catch this. The women come through the tomb. The angels are there. They say, are you guys looking for the living among the dead? Yada, yada, yada. You know the whole story. And the angels say to the women, go tell his disciples. And Peter, that he is alive. Hello, come on, somebody help me here. I thought Peter was one of the disciples. Where are the, why are they, the angels saying, tell the disciples? And Peter, that he's risen. Come on, somebody, don't leave me alone with this revelation. Don't you dare read the word and say, and that's what they said. You better ask God, why did they say that? Peter is a disciple. Why didn't he just say, go tell the disciples? Matter of fact, they were all together. It's not like Peter was living in another house. They were all together. Why does the angel say, tell the disciples and Peter that he is risen? <laughs> he done did graduate, but not the way you think. The reason why the angel said to the disciples and Peter is because what Peter did placed him in a place where he was no longer a disciple. He was one who rejected God. And in case you don't know this, in Hebrew understanding, when God sees something happening three times, it is established, it cannot be undone. This is why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I don't care who wants to argue that, he will always be the God of that family. This is why he is the I am who was and who is to come. That reveals the, 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 the three stages in which you can understand God, which is present, future, past. He's omnipresent. He shows up in threes. He does everything in threes. He's even the one through which expression we understand Father, Son, Spirit. Everything that has threes, God establishes. And God says, when, when you see this pattern of three, nothing can undo the pattern that I have just put together. When he says that I throw feed into a field, some produce 100, 60, and 30-fold. Three phases of everything. 
When it's talking about the wheat coming up, it says first the blade, then the ear, then the foreear of the corn. God sets things in threes because what he's saying is when I do something in threes, it is established. Nobody can undo what has been done. And God who is so unmoved when he establishes the thing looked at this man Peter and said, Peter, based on my system of order, you done just denied me not once, not twice, three times, you are out. And this is why the angel said, tell the disciples and Peter, because Peter was placed in a position outside of discipleship at that moment because of what he did. And Messiah shows up. He reveals himself to his friends. And Peter's just sitting there, shaking. And Messiah looks around and he says, Peter, Do you love me? Peter said, I do. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter was so sad, he almost didn't repeat the lie. Do you know that? He was so sad, he almost didn't say it. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. Let me tell you something. Peter couldn't be graduating with the responsibility to feed lambs until Peter was placed the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. He had to experience an agony of being so separated from God that he would know if the God that has established his system has called me to feed the lambs and I am the least, I am the worst, I denied him three times. But the thing is that he was talking to the God who is the word that became flesh and the word forced him to Undo what Peter did because in the natural what we do makes our salvation impossible. But God changes the words out of our mouth and he forced out of the same man instead of saying, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him to, I love you, I'll feed him, I love you, I'll tend him, I love you, I'll feed your people. <laughs> it's time you understand. That the food you're getting from God is not based on someone's ability to be so righteous or so good. But on the fact that someone has been placed in the lowest of lowest of lowest of lowest that they can be. And when you've gone down to the bottom, the king of glory goes one step lower gets underneath you and say, now you get your butt up and start feeding my lambs. And Peter would ask, what do you want me to feed them? Peter only received one supernatural meal from heaven. And he only received it once. Do you remember what it was? He received the word and the word was, you are the anointed one, son of God. So the message for you today, from that same spirit who spoke to Peter and through Peter, stop trying to live this life to obtain something that is unobtainable by human effort. And begin to proclaim the bread that comes from heaven. Point at your brothers and sisters and remind them you are an anointed son of God. Anointed son. Anointed son. And call, he calls us sons because it's a spiritual thing. It's not a gender thing. Anointed sons. Anointed sons. Anointed sons. 
sons. Some of you are in here and you're struggling so much because you keep looking at the things you're doing wrong and you, and you fall short. You keep falling short. You keep falling short. You don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. The man who has been told to feed you has food from heaven. And it's to tell you that now you are the sons of God. Now you are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what you shall be, but you know that when you see him, <laughs> you shall be like him because you will see him as he is. You're already that. You just haven't seen it yet. For now we look at a foggy mirror. But then we'll see face to face. The problem is not you. The problem is that the reflection you're seeing of yourself, the mirror is dirty. It ain't you. It's the mirror. The mirror is dirty. And when that mirror is cleaned by the blood of the Lamb, you will see your own face. And you will recognize the face of the Son of God. I, 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 we overcome by the word of our testimony. We go through many t trials and tests to have a testimony. I, 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 just, I just have to share this. I just have to share this because you just need, you just need to, to hold on to this. Because it's my story, but I know it's not my story because it's our story because we're one. I have to tell you this story. I was a young man, foolish and crazy, had a crazy girlfriend, and in my fun craziness, I got this girl pregnant. Soon as I got her pregnant, the first thing that came to my mind, well, this is not fair for the child. I, I love that. It's not fair for the child. It's not right. It's going to destroy everything. It's going to destroy everything. And I did everything I could, everything I could to convince this poor girl to get rid of their child. I remember she was a Catholic girl, and she was just so torn up about it. But you know what? I could be pretty, pretty, pretty convincing. And I convinced her. And I took her on my motorcycle. We drove all the way down to Boston. We went into a clinic. She went inside. I waited for about half an hour, and she came out. And I, I, I always thought that whatever you do, the Lord, you can cry out to the Lord, and he'll be there. Let me tell you something. When that girl came out, I see the look on her face. is like she like death. And I did what I always knew to do. I just said a little prayer. I said, oh, Lord, you know, I know I've done wrong, but Lord, and for the first time in my life, there was no answer. I, I cried out. I was trying to talk to you. He said, I can always hear you, but I can always feel your presence. The scripture says that you never leave us near for six. Let me tell you something. At that moment, there was no God near me. I sat there in the rain next to this girl shivering, looking at my motorcycle. And God was nowhere to be found. It's like an eternity passed. And then this woman came out of the clinic. She was dressed very provocatively. She walked by us. By her, we could smell the, her smell, all kinds of perfumes. And she walked by, and she turned around. She was a hooker. She turned around, and she, and she looked at us, and she came up to me, and she goes, all right, let me get this straight. You done got her knocked up. Now you ain't got an abortion. Now you're feeling all sorry for yourself. And how are you going to get this girl home? On a motorcycle? I didn't want to talk to anybody. I said, just, just leave us be. This woman goes around the corner, and she comes on her fancy little car, and she pulls in the curb, and she goes, would you get you behind in my car right there? She forces her into her car, and she starts driving us home. It's about an hour. And in this hour drive, this woman over and over and over and over, nonstop, keeps telling me, you're just Two stupid kids who made a mistake. You're not evil. I'm a hooker. I'm on my seventh abortion. I'm evil. You're not me. You're not me. You're not me. Stop being stupid and don't ever go back there again. Over and over and over and over. You're just stupid. 
I'm evil. You're not evil. You done made a mistake. Over and over and over and over, she would not stop saying that she is the wicked one and we made a mistake. She's the wicked one. We made a mistake. She's the wicked one. We made a mistake. She just wouldn't shut up. She dropped us off at home. And it took me a long time to ever hear the voice of God again. But when I did, this is what he said to me. Peter, I know you can place yourself in a place where you separate yourself from me. But I can never be separate from you. And I will use a hooker to find you in hell and remind you that I who knew no sin took sin so that you may know you made a mistake. Now get up and move on. I used a hooker to find you in hell because you would not be able to hear my voice if I came any other way. And this is why the vessel in front of you speaks as if it's the last time I have the opportunity to speak the kingdom of heaven. Because I know there's nothing I can do to earn anything. I done messed it up. But he who knew no sin became sin. That I could be the righteousness of God. And I'm not alone. Hello, righteousness of God. So this day, eat, eat bread from heaven, anointed sons of the living God. Eat bread from heaven, anointed sons of God. And I only have one request of you. When God revealed to me what really happened, he said, stop, stop, stop beating yourself up and prepare yourself to be a judge. I said, Lord, a judge for what? I I deserve to be judged. He says, no, 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 no. Prepare yourself to be a judge. You're going to sit in a judge's seat and you will be judging humans coming in front of you. I said, God, this makes no sense. How could I possibly judge anybody? He said, oh, yeah, you're going to judge, all right. You're going to be sitting on a seat of judgment. And I'm bringing every single hooker from the beginning of time to the end of time to come in front of you. And you decide if they're guilty or not guilty. I actually had like this vision and I saw all these hookers coming up and I tried to f- see if I could recognize the face of the one. I don't remember what she looked like. I have no idea what she looked like. Every single one of those women in front of me could be the one that was sent to rescue me from hell. So I know how I am going to deliberate that one. Because the same man who denied the king was also told that which you forgive will be forgiven in heaven. That which you do not forgive will not be forgiven. So I know how I am going to deliberate. It's going to be a really quick deliberation. But I do ask you, those of you who have heard this, On that day of judgment, when you're sitting on your thrones of judgment, if you have to deliberate over any hookers, can you please do me a favor? Please. Can you please say not guilty on my behalf? Because she may be on your line. It's time to graduate. It's time to stop thinking that your merit is based on something that you've done. It's time to take bread from heaven and feed, encourage. 
And do what Messiah really said, which is for all of us, go make Talmudim, go make disciples, go make duplicates of me in this earth. <laughs> it's a painful journey, but it's a good meal. Put your hand up. Go ahead. Put your hand up. Father, I place that bread that was entrusted to Peter to place in their hand. Anointed son, anointed son, anointed son, anointed son, anointed son, anointed son of God. Hallelujah. Now be fruitful and multiply.